of the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today, our topic is business development and the role that relationships and processes play in building business in the federal market. Kevin interviews Bill Naughton, a director of federal markets at Suez Water and a longtime member of the Society of American Military Engineers. Bill shares his insight on business development through 25 years working interesting projects like Superfund cleanups and utility privatization with 8A small businesses, small businesses, and in large businesses. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. If your organization is interested in training from a team of former contracting officers, go to askskyway.com and learn more about how Skyway helps both industry and government teams with the acquisition and contract execution process. Okay, let's get started with Kevin's conversation with Bill Naughton from Suez Water. How did you get into, how did you decide to be in the government side of this industry as opposed to state and local and lots of other places that you could be doing these kind of services? Well, what's, what's funny, I, I actually started my career as a cartographer working for the Defense Mapping Agency and realized that wasn't really the, the uh the direction I wanted to go in. And then I went to work for an environmental consulting firm who was doing the EPA technical enforcement work. Did that for a few years and then went to work for a contractor. And it just so happened they were doing some underground storage tank work for the postal service. And I managed those contracts. And from there, it just evolved to doing more federal work. It wasn't a plan early on. But then as I got more federal contracting experience, I followed that path. It's, it's funny, Paul and I tell the story of, of most people who end up being contracting officers don't start on that path. And what I'm realizing the longer I'm in this industry is that there are a lot of people who they don't start being, I'm going to be a government contractor in this niche. They, it evolves. There's so many different opportunities. They end up in a piece. So let's go back to, to Suez Water. So how does the government customer use the support that your contracts provide? Well, there's, there's, there's two different ways that we do this. Um, one uh, and the primary market that we're pursuing is utility privatization. And utility privatization is like a contractor like Suez will come in and through a procurement process, a uh, very long and complicated process, actually purchase through a bill of sale the water and wastewater utility assets at a military base. And so we'll own all of the assets, the, the treatment plants, the piping, the pump stations, the valves, Tanks, all of the all of the assets, fence to fence within a military installation for a period of fifty years, and so then we're responsible for maintaining the systems, as well as all the capital upgrades, bringing them up to current standards for all the deferred maintenance that was done has not been done over the last five, ten, twenty years, whatever it might be. So that's one way is through this utility privatization program. The other way is we also. Do contract services like we uh, worked out at uh, Pendleton Air Force or I'm sorry the Pendleton um, Marine Corps Station in uh, California where we as a as a contractor under a five-year contract we operated the uh, the wastewater treatment plant there for a number of years and so it could either be contract services or it could be um, uh, under a utility privatization where we actually own the assets. So uh, I'm going to do this backwards so the five-year contract to manage the the facilities they actually generate the, the clean water, et cetera. Okay, that, that part, I, I understand that's pretty easy to wrap our heads around if you're a contracts person. The privatization piece, so you guys are buying the facility effectively for 50 years. Did I get that right? Yes, 50 years. It's a 50-year contract with a, with a 50-year renewal. 
wow. <laughs> so how is that managed exactly? Is it is it just is it a regular government contract? Except you invested, you actually bought the the equipment. But yes, it's, it's operates like a regular government contract. It's operated like a regular government contract. It's firm fixed price with economic price adjustments. Um, it's 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 unique to the military. Uh, the military recognized that their mission does not necessarily their their prime mission, their sweet spot, if you will, does not necessarily include managing water and wastewater treatment plants, as well as the electrical utility, natural gas, and now even the um, district heating systems. They realize they don't have, for the most part, don't have consistent funding to maintain the systems and keep them operating at a a reliable and resilient basis, as well as um, an efficient basis from an energy and water usage standpoint. And uh, especially the Army recognizes that contractors can do it much more effectively than the government can. So now the Army has privatized, I think, 150 utilities across all of their different bases. The Air Force is, has done, well, I'm not sure how many they've done, but they're number two, and the Navy is just getting into the program now. So when you say utilities, are you, are you, are you buying them, one, you said fence to fence. So you're buying everything. You're buying the electricity, you're buying the water, you're buying the sewage, like the whole thing. You're managing all of it? Well, they divide the utilities up into five different specific utilities. So there's water for potable water for drinking water. There's wastewater, which is the sewage. I guess as sewage as well as industrial wastewater at some facilities. So water, wastewater, and then electricity and natural gas. And then a lot of facilities have district heating where they use steam to heat and cool either the whole base or specific parts of the base. That's a, that's a smaller utility that's not as prevalent across all the, fil- uh, all the military bases, but it is at a number of them. So there's those five different utilities. And when they come out with a privatization contract or a solicitation, um, you can bid on any one or all of those as you feel is appropriate for what your company does. So at Suez Water, we go after just the water or the wastewater because that's where our sweet spot is. We're not an electrical or a natural gas utility company. We don't understand all the ins and outs of those uh, particular utilities. And so we don't go after those. We, just, we focus on water and wastewater. So even within the niche that is DOD utility privatization, you still are niched even further into water and wastewater. So yes. there's, there's a lesson in there. <laughs> so that, yes. that's, that's your target agency is, is the, the DOD particularly? Uh, DOD and with a focus on the Defense Logistics Agency Energy because that particular agency and that part of DLA does all the contracting for utility privatization for the Army and the Air Force. And the Navy is just getting into it now, and they're exploring whether they're going to do their own procurement or if they're going to also use DLA. Interesting. Yeah, this, this really reminds me of, I did a, a rather large proposal for a, a company we helped with something similar, but it was recycling. And it was the same thing where they had to buy the recycling processes. And basically they, they had to recycle the, 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 all the, Recycling like came out of the base and they were responsible for making money with it. So they, the more efficient they got, the, the more effective it was. So I didn't realize that they had broken all of these different systems down into these effectively niched utilities. It's fascinating. Yes. Yes. So how do you find these opportunities? Well, DLA publishes a list. They have a list going out through, I believe it's 2022 right now, of planned sites that they're going to privatize. It takes them a long time just to get to the point of issuing an RFP because they have to, if, if you think about it, they're selling all of the assets at a particular installation. 
And so they have to identify what those assets are. And so somebody has to go out on a military base. And if you think, you know, some of them are small, some of them are large, but they have to go out to that military base and identify all the underground pipe for the water and the wastewater system, every valve, every grease trap, every backflow preventer, um, and go through the whole facilities and, and, and find all those different assets. They can identify them because during the process of, of transitioning the facility over, they have to get, uh, have a bill of sale that lists every item that we are buying as part of the procurement. So it takes them a couple of years to get from the point of identifying a facility is going to have its utility privatized to the point of issuing the solicitation. So they, so they publish a list, I guess that's my point ultimately, they publish a list of what they're planning over the next um, you know, four to six years. So the, the handful of us that do this work can identify what needs to be done and we can start planning for those and know what's coming out. And I guess, and then, and then the 80-20 rule would be, yeah, it, it probably does follow more the 80-20 as opposed to 20-80 because we, we get to know the folks at DLA through the process and then also the folks at the Army since we know you know, that Aberdeen Proving Grounds is going to have something coming out this, this summer because they just issued a draft RFI, or I mean a draft RFP. And, you know, they've been on the list for a couple of years. And so we've been talking with people about um, this particular opportunity because we know it's more unique because of the mission of Aberdeen Proving Grounds, all the contamination they have in the soil, the UXO, things of that nature that are going to complicate this one over other sites like, say, um, Joint Base Byers Henderson Hall which is associated with Arlington National Cemetery. The mission there is very different from some, a place like Aberdeen Proving Grounds. So we, uh, we're putting together a very different team and, and, and we've been positioning for Aberdeen for over a year now. And now we know the RFP is coming out uh, this summer. So we, you know, we, we work off the list. We work off of our conversations that we have with DLA as they update their lists and confirm exactly when things are coming out and you know, work with them to understand their process. And so they understand our process too. We're kind of cooperating um, amongst all the participants, I guess, in submitting our proposals to help DLA learn what it takes for us to be able to put together a very uh, in-depth proposal for their very complex procurements. With the 80% process, 20% relationships, or some ratio of the two, does that ratio change as you were talking about the, the difference between the Arlington versus Aberdeen Proving Ground? I mean, I, I worked at like Peterson Air Force Base, which is a little bit newer. It's up in the mountains. It's kind of easier to manage the grounds up there versus like McDill Air Force Base, which is on the Gulf of Mexico, which a lot of those pipes are probably below the waterline. <laughs> so like how much of that is relationship versus process when you go to that particular uh, location and realize that these valves are underwater. Yeah, we can count them, but how to maintain them is different. Well, it's still, it's still the 80-20 rule, uh, especially during the procurement phase and, and even the pre-procurement phase. There's only so much, you know, beforehand, there's only, before the RFP is issued, there's only so much time we can spend on base and actually see the details of what will be included. You know, there are times we can, if we know two years from now, something is going to be coming out uh, on the street for a solicitation, we might have an opportunity to meet with the, um, the DPW at the base or get to know or talk with some of the Army people in the Pentagon who are involved at that particular site and learn, you know, from a 10,000 foot level what some of the issues are and be able to start thinking about what we need to do to position to meet the needs of the particular mission 
for that facility, like Aberdeen having you know a lot of issues involving environmental contamination and even UXO, it's a lot harder to replace underground pipe there where we, you know, if we if we're not properly prepared with um to do UXO screening, we could have a, a serious uh, safety issue, which we we never want to have. Our positioning for there is different than it would be for say, you know, Joint Base Myers Henderson Hall, which is uh, you know, largely a ceremonial uh, facility and also, uh, you know, uh, housing for for some of the senior uh, general officers. So, and UXO stands for Unexploded Ordinance, correct? Yes, yes. Sorry about that. Yes. Yeah. yeah no. So, and you also had another acronym you dropped. Was it was it TPW? Was a person on the base? It's it's a it was a, it was a oh DPW DPW the, the, the Directorate of Public Works. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's why. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, that's how we learn. It's good stuff. Yes. So do you have a story of how, how you manage the process well, the 80-20 process well? Over time, I've been involved in a lot of different um, aspects of the federal contracting. And because of that, I, I belong to a group called the Society of American Military Engineers. And I've been very active both on a local post level as well as on the national level with, um, with SAME. And when I was first hired to develop the utility privatization work for a large utility, it was new to me for a utility, the utility privatization niche within the federal market. And I didn't necessarily have relationships with the key personnel, both at DLA or the Army, which was a major military branch using DLA at the time. And one year for our major um, joint engineers training conference, I was responsible for the program uh, for uh, energy and sustainability. And I had to develop a panel of government um, you know, subject matter experts to do a, a panel discussion. And so I, I realized that I had an opportunity to, to bring the folks from DLA into this panel and discuss the utility privatization market uh, because it was something that a lot of people within SAME uh, would not necessarily be familiar with, but because of the engineering and construction needs, uh, whenever one of these contracts are awarded, it would be a topic that uh, would be found to be very, very interesting by the folks at SAME. So I worked with the director of the DLA Energy, Martha Gray, who's a great person. And she helped me set up the panel with uh, the lead person for the Army, the Navy, and the Air Force to sit on the panel with Martha and discuss the whole utility privatization program, what the differences and similarities are between the Army, the Navy, and the Air Force, and you know, what some of the challenges are and where each group is going with their program. So I got to know her not on a hey, Martha, we want to sell to you basis, but Martha, can you help me with this? And she was great to help me reach out to all the um, senior leaders within the military branches, work through their staff to get to them and set up the, uh, the panel. And then I got to know all these lead people for the utility privatization program through the panel and learn more about the in-depth side of, of why they've chosen to take different paths that they've each chosen. And so it helped me to get to know them, and it also helped to get their message out to the engineering, construction, and operations and maintenance community. It was a great win-win, I think, for all of us, and it was a way to get to know all these different people all at once, as opposed to having to spend a year or two getting to know each one individually and working through the uh, you know the chain of command to get to them. It's a phenomenal example of of not only the targeting piece, but understanding what can we both work on that's going to help both sides. That's the communication between government and industry working together to really make the whole eventual contract management that much easier. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, I'm really glad that uh, that that is a phenomenal story. People say, "What 
what kind of business development should I be doing in my niche? Well, you know what? There's Bill's example. <laughs> and apply that concept to whatever you're doing and, and it'll, it'll definitely make the, the process smoother. Belonging to these networking organizations, and especially if you're going to be involved on the military side or engineering, construction, these services type contracts, facility management, the Society of American Military Engineers is a great group to belong to. They've got small business committees. They have a lot of opportunities for people to be able to not only get to know people within the government who might be their ultimate client, but if you're a small business, it gives you opportunities to also get to know the large businesses who have all their small business goals and be able to network with them. And that's that's more of the 80-20 rule where 80% relationship, 20% process, where they're going to get to know, you know, it's more relationship oriented to be a subcontractor on a major team you can present your value to that large business. It's a great organization to belong to from, from both perspectives. You raise a really good point that as a subcontractor, out of the gate, it's probably going to be 20% process, 80% relationship because that company is choosing to sub to you. And yeah, there's still a process behind that, but it's not nearly the weight that it was when you were a prime because you're not interacting directly with the government. You're supporting somebody who is, and it's, it's a different structure. Right. So what's, the, what's the ratio of, of like prime to subcontracts for you guys? We're, we're predominantly a prime contractor. Being a large business and the type of work that we do, we have a sweet spot for doing the O&M services. And it's typically not something that's under a larger contract. And we, we look for opportunities with small businesses for doing things like engineering services and construction services. When we, when we win a large utility privatization contract, there, like I had mentioned earlier, there's a lot of deferred maintenance work that hadn't been, the government hasn't had the funding for, or the money was used for another purpose for things like uh, replacing underground pipe. There's pipe in the ground, whether it's sewage or portable water pipe that was installed in some cases back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s that has a 25-year lifespan. And in some cases, we have miles and miles of pipe, 15, 20, 25 miles of pipe at a base that has to be replaced within the first two or three years of the contract. We don't do that. And so we look for local general contractors, preferably small businesses, and preferably somebody that fits one of the special categories of small businesses to do that type of work at these bases. And there's also um, you know, hydraulic capacity model studies, so a lot of site civil engineering work, as well as mechanical and electrical engineering work that we need done. And again, we don't, we don't have PEs that work for our company to be able to do the types of designs that need to be done and be stamped by an engineer. And so we also have a need for, for engineering firms to help out with, uh, with the design and study type work that come with these utility privatizations. So, okay, that's a really good segue. Then if I'm a small business, with, there are lots of engineering firms, lots of services from professional services firms who, who would be interested in getting to know you better. What's the best way to get a hold of you and potentially see if we're a fit to, if some other companies are fit to help you? Sure. You know, there's, there, there's two ways you can get a hold of me. One, um, I'm, I'm reasonably active on LinkedIn. And so you can find my, my profile on LinkedIn and connect with me there, William Naughton on LinkedIn, or there's my, my email address here at Suez or United Water. Our group that goes after federal work is actually United Water Federal Services, a division of Suez. But my, my email address is bill.naughton at suez.com. Bill.naughton at suez.com. I could talk for hours because this is fascinating because this is something that I, I touched a little bit as a CEO. Um, the operation side, the, the O&M side, that's something I have a lot of experience with. But I, I, we did a, uh, it was housing privatization, similar concept, but I didn't realize to the scale that 
the utility privatization was being done, which, and it does make sense because you know, the government's not in the business of, of managing these things where there are lots of private companies, including large businesses like yours. That's exactly what they do. So there's a, there's a big niche for everybody <laughs> in the federal market, I think is the lesson here. Any other parting thoughts or one, one thing that, like, that you wish your younger self knew for somebody who's new in this market or, or is, is following your path? Well, you know, there's, there, there was one thing I was thinking about, a story, if you will, for small businesses. Earlier in my career, I was managing some contracts with a, um, one of the Corps of Engineer districts. And as that small business, we were positioning to get onto a large business team for a very large design-build environmental remediation contract, an IDIQ contract. I had worked through my contracts that I was managing to develop strong relationships with a number of people at that particular Corps of Engineers district office. And I used that relationship to talk with the people at the Corps to learn who they felt were the best positioned players were to win this large contract. Because we were talking with probably 10 different companies, 10 different large business companies about being on their team, but we didn't know who was really the best positioned company to be on. And I found it invaluable to go in and meet with different people, each one independently, and just ask them a few questions about who was coming in to talk to them about this contract, who they felt was really the best positioned company. And it was interesting doing that because talking to all these different people independently, they all came back to the same company as being the best positioned firm to win this contract because they were doing their homework. They were, they were doing all the right things as a large business. And ultimately, that large business wound up writing the best proposal, and they won the contract. And we were on their team because I had used the relationships that I developed through the core and some targeted questioning to be able to learn who, who is the best position team. And then we were able to focus our sales effort on that team as well as two others just to be safe. But we wound up getting on the right team. We were able to win that contract and got some, got some great work out. And so it's just one way to try if you're a small business that you can leverage relationships if you have them in the, in the districts to learn who might be best positioned if you're going after trying to be a team member to go after a large contract. It's a really intelligent and creative way to use the relationships that you have or expound on the relationships you have with the government folks in a way that they would not have thought of. If I'm a contracting officer sitting in a seat and you're asking me or pick a pick a role, program manager, whatever on a particular project. And you're asking me these kind of questions to figure out, you know, who do you think the best competitors and you don't work for those companies and you're not, you're a small business who's not going to be going after the work at their scale. However, the reason you're asking that question is you're trying to build a strategy to figure out which of these 10 teams should I be on. And again, that's something as a CEO I wouldn't have thought of. I just thought you're another small business who was just, you know, looking for me to give them a contract to, to do something that is not on the scale they could even do. And it's right. very interesting. I hope, I hope that this alone <laughs> will help us as former CEOs understand how, how the, the, the communication between small business and industry and government is just as important as the targeted stuff that has to do with this particular opportunity. It could be bigger than, than, than the one opportunity with the one contractor that's right in front of you. It, like it almost always is. Yeah, especially especially for a small business, it can be like a Rubik's cube trying to trying to develop your strategy to go after one opportunity because there are so many different paths to go down to gain information and to figure out who it is that you should team with so that you're ultimately on the winning team. You're right. Yeah, there, there's the soundbite of the day. Bu- building a an effective business development strategy is like unpacking a Rubik's cube. <laughs> All right. Well, th- thanks for your time, Bill. I look forward to talking to you more. And in the meantime, thanks for being a podcast listener too. And I'll catch up with you later. 
Well, thank you. I, I really enjoyed uh, being on here today. And, um, you know, I, even though I've been uh, in this business for, for a few years, let's say, I get a lot out of every one of your podcasts. And uh, I really appreciate what you and Paul are doing each week. And, uh, and thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Have a good day. Thank you, too. Okay, that's it for this episode. I'd like to say thanks to Bill Naughton for taking the time to talk about a part of the government acquisition world that not many people know about. Interesting stuff. Also, thanks to our sponsor, Skyway Acquisition. If you need help understanding your government customer, Skyway's team of former contracting officers is there to help. Visit AskSkyway.com to learn more. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.